0: Hello and welcome to the Victory Alabang podcast. You're listening to a message from our preaching series entitled Amazing Grace. Together, we'll gain a biblical understanding of God's amazing grace and how it transforms our lives. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. We are now starting uh, a new series on uh, the amazing grace, and uh, how many of you are grateful for the grace of God in our lives, you know? Uh, We are here, I believe, you know, personally, I'm standing here before you because of the grace of God, and I believe that all of us can actually say that it's only by God's grace that we are still alive today, amen? You know, looking at all the things that we have done in the past, oh Lord, help us. And so, uh, you know, for those of you who are still young, uh, praise God that you actually met God while you are uh, like in kids' church. Some of you grew up in kids' church. But for those of us who are a bit mature and, has, you know, experience the grace of God uh, when we are maturing in, in, our, in our life, uh, it's not just about us meeting the grace of God when we get saved. But I believe that God's grace has been working throughout our lives, even in the times wherein we don't know God yet. And so we're going to be looking at the amazing grace and what's so amazing about this grace that we are talking about. You know, many times we, uh, you know, we say that something is amazing if it is, you know, it's new, it's innovative. If there's something that's spectacular about that thing. And I'm pretty sure that when you talk about the grace of God, the first time that I actually have encountered or experienced the grace of God, it was just amazing the sense of awe, the sense of forgiveness. And I, I, I hope and I pray that we will never grow old in saying that this grace is amazing. Remember the time when the first iPhone came out back in, I don't know, maybe in 2000 and, I don't know, maybe 2007, 2008, when uh, Steve Jobs presented this, revolutionary product and he said that this is actually a communication device it's actually a computer in your hands it's actually a music box or something of, of sorts and the people were actually just so amazed you know looking at that particular you know model of, of a phone because back in the day if you own a you know a cellular phone it used to be like this this heavy tote bag it's like uh, you know this weapon that you're carrying. In your bag but you know the revolutionary product is everything is just shrunk and it can actually fit in your pocket. Now how many of you find out that that was amazing during that time but yet I look at the reaction right now and say okay that's that's old because the reality is gadgets or inventions can actually grow obsolete. But when you talk about the gospel, when you talk about the grace of God, when you talk about the love of God, as Pastor Bodhi has been mentioning a while ago, how many of you know that it never grows old? The more that you walk with God, the more of the grace of God we need. The more that we walk in the grace, the more that we mature, the more that we grow old, the more that we actually walk, the more that we face challenges, the more that we actually experience triumphs and victory and accomplishment, the more that we actually say that it's the grace of God that's working in my life. Amen. And I hope that we will never get to that point, that we will actually look at grace and say, ah, thank you, Lord. And we will just set it aside and say, that's God's responsibility in providing His grace. How many of you know that the best reaction and response ought to be in awe, in reverence, and in gratitude? Now, how many of you here have been married for at least five years and up, stand up, okay? All right, look around you. How many of you know that is the grace of God? Being married for the same person for five years, okay? Now, if you've been married for 10 years and up, please remain standing. The rest of you, sit down. Okay, 10 years and up, remain standing. The rest of you, sit down. Wow, praise God. 15 years and up, please remain standing. The rest of you, sit down. Oh, wow. Wow. Don't worry, I'm not gonna give top the run today, okay? You lost your chance last week, okay? 20 years and up, please remain standing. The rest of you sit down. Wow. Praise God. 25 years and up, please remain standing. The rest of you sit down. Oh, wow. Can we give these people a hand right now? Still, some remain standing. Quarter of a century mark. How many of you know that is the grace of God? Yes. All by God's grace. 30 years and up. <laughs> remain standing. <laughs> Praise God. Now, 35 years and up. Please remain standing. Wow. Leo, Tani, wow. Other oh, side, wow. Joy, yes. Nani, wow. Now, ano na ba tayo ngayon? Nasaan na tayo? 60? Sorry, 40. 40? Okay, if you are 41, okay, we'll just move slowly. 41 and up, remain standing. 42? Tama na ba? Tama sa ba 40, di ba? Na 40 na tayo. So 41 and ups, remain standing. 42, remain standing. 43, remain standing. 44, remain standing. Oops, 43, 43, 42, 43. Wow, can we just uh, give a hand to Captain Leo? Short of two days. Well, 43 na rin yun. Happy anniversary. Yes. But anyway, the reason why I said that is, you know, when you talk about everything that we go through in life, it's all by the grace of God. Whether in marriage, whether you're a student, whether you're, you know, uh, a business person, whether you've had ups and downs, success, you know, whether you've shifted careers, it's all by the grace of God, I believe. And so, I hope that we will never get tired. Of looking at the grace of God. And in the in this series, we're going to be looking at different facets of grace. Kind of like the diamond. Now when you talk about the grace of God, there are different aspects of the grace of God. There's a justifying grace, a sanctifying grace, an inviting grace, an enriching grace, an enduring grace. There's a merry grace. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just testing you. But today we're going to be looking at justifying grace. What does it mean for us to be justified? You know, sometimes us... Pinoy's or, you know, I don't know if it's in our culture. When you hear somebody justifying himself, it's kind of like, it sounds negative, right? Because when you justify yourself, it sounds like you're making an excuse. If somebody made a mistake, for example, if one of your children made a mistake, you told them to do something, you know, there's your responsibility and they dropped the ball. And then, you know, something big happened in your family and so... The, the, the elders, for example, is trying to justify himself. It sounds like that person is making an excuse. But you know, when it comes to the grace of God, justifying grace is not at all negative. It is so positive because it's, I believe it's a gift that God gives to each and every one of us who wants to avail, avail of that justifying grace. And so, let's all turn our Bibles to uh, Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 3 to 7. We'll just be reading from a single... Uh, Translation this afternoon from the English Standard Version. And I want to invite everybody to stand as we give reverence to the Word of God. Titus chapter 3. Titus is found right after Timothy. Just before Hebrews and Philemon. Okay? In the the New Testament. Titus chapter 3. Verse 3 to verse 7. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Let's read everything from verse 4 altogether. One, two, three. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, your gift of grace upon each and every one of us. I thank you, Lord God, that Jesus appeared as our Savior and put on us his righteousness. And we thank you, Lord God, that his righteousness has been credited to us. We are forever grateful for the justification that we have received and the salvation that we have today as children of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. All right. When you you find a time, hopefully, you know, right after tonight or maybe tomorrow, just before next week, okay, I'd like to encourage you to read the whole book of Titus because it's just a brief read. Three chapters, uh, I read through it, uh, and it's just like 10 minutes, maybe max, uh, just going through it. And you will find that it's actually a a story of the Apostle Paul when he, uh, you know, left behind or, well, no, endorsed, endorsed one of his sons in the Lord named Titus in order to stay in the island of Crete. And so Titus is the contemporary of Timothy. Now, Timothy, I'm familiar with Timothy? Timothy is one of the, yeah, of course, the son of, of Paul uh, spiritually, and both of them were contemporaries. Both of them were, were young believers and young pastors, whereas Timothy was left in Ephesus, Ephesus being a very nice city, a port city, a very influential city in the Roman uh, Empire, and both of them were given the same task of looking for elders uh, Ephesians had their own. Uh, Ephesus had their own issues, but yet, when you talk about Crete, Crete is almost like a. I'm not really sure. Maybe like a Tondo of sorts. Okay, uh, it's not as glamorous as the city that was assigned to uh, to Timothy. In fact, one of the things that were written about the Cretans. Not croutons, okay, but Cretans. Okay, the the people living in uh, Crete is that they were liars and these were reported by the prophets themselves coming from Crete. Cretans were liars. They are evil brutes and they are, what do you, lazy gluttons is the other term. How many of you know people like that? Okay, you know, what a combination. And so, you know, Paul was telling Titus, you're going to be in charge of that particular church. And so, how many of you know that all the more (laughs) he needs the grace of God uh, in leading this type of people? And so, what he clarified was when you talk about grace, it's not just about salvation. And How many of you know that when you talk about grace, there has to be a proper understanding of what grace is? Grace is known to be the unmerited favor of God. How many of you know that none of us deserves the grace of God? That's the reason why it's called grace. It comes from the word "caris," A gift. It's a gift. And how many of you know that gifts are not to be paid for? What should you do with a gift? We gift. No, no, no. You thank someone who gave you that gift, right? And so... the the response of a receiver when it comes to the gift is that you receive it and say, thank you. And one of the teachings of uh, Paul to Titus is found in Titus chapter 2, wherein he said that the grace of the Lord God has appeared uh, bringing salvation for all people. Everybody say all people. And what he's saying here is, it's not just the Cretans who need salvation, but all of us, including Paul himself. And then he said, not only did it bring salvation to men, but the same grace. Everybody say the same grace. Mm -hmm. The same grace is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives In this present age. And so having a proper understanding of doctrine will actually drive behavior. Because if we have a poor knowledge or understanding of what grace is all about. Sometimes we can misuse the grace of God. Many times we can be licentious with the grace of God. If we have a wrong mindset of the grace of God and say, you know, anyway, God's loving and gracious and forgiving and compassionate and merciful. So I can live however I want. Anyway, He's going to forgive me after I sin. How many of you know that that is a misunderstanding of the grace of God? Because the very same grace that saves us is the same grace that enables us and sustains us. It's the same grace that teaches us to say no. Everybody say no. NIV talks about that. It teaches you to say no to worldly passions. The best way to counter temptation is to learn this two-letter word. And... Oh, no. And the moment that you say no to a temptation, how many of you know that is the grace of God manifesting itself in your life? You know, there's, amen, praise God. And there's just so much of a culture that we live in wherein it's just about self-gratification and, you know, you own YOLO. You only live once. You gotta enjoy life. You gotta, you know, you gotta, you know, whatever. Party all you can or drink all you can or eat all you can. Nothing wrong with eat all you can, okay? You know, sometimes you do that, eat all you can. But yet, it's all about humanity. It's human-centered. And if we feel that we deserve it, then we, we We actually misunderstand the grace of God. John Wesley said that the, uh, justification is the doorway of salvation and the beginning of transformation. Justification is never the ending of salvation. It's only the starting point of salvation. In fact, he used the metaphor of having a house of salvation and How many of you are familiar with the house, the house that you live in? And what he's saying is, you know, and there are different aspects of the house. And once you enter that home, there is almost like an invitation, an inviting kind of grace. And the inviting grace or what they say the prevenient grace is the one that causes us to realize that we are sinners. And then when you come into the porch of that house, it is called a convicting grace, And once you realize how much you've you've hurt God, you start knocking at the door of the house of salvation and you step in and that is called justification. Justification is the doorway of salvation. But how many of you know that entering into a house, you don't stay at the door and sleep at the door? You gotta walk inside the living room and enjoy the whole house. And that's, I believe, where God is calling us. That we need to have a proper understanding of what salvation is all about. That it's only a starting point. Some Christians think that the end goal of life is just justification. As long as I'm justified, just like the thief on the cross, I'm good. How many of you know that the thief on the cross is a unique situation because he's got nowhere to go but die? And so when he received salvation at that time... Uh, it was justification, and that justification opened the door for him to have eternal life. But many of us, after justification, we now live a life serving God. You know, the process just began, and there are different ways of us experiencing this. In fact, John uh, Wesley continued to say that, you know, during the time when he was a, it was in his diary, that when he was a young, uh, you know, a young man, he was invited into a church. And uh, he was begrudgingly, uh, you know, not wanting to go into and attend that service, but yet he went anyway because of, I guess, the prodding of, uh, of his friends. And so when he was in the service, what happened was as he was hearing the sermon or the Word of God, he felt a warm feeling in his heart. Somehow that triggered that there's something that's being regenerated in his spirit. Now, how many of you can relate with John Wesley. You know, as I read that, I said to myself, when I got saved in 1986, I crossed my campus in Taft Avenue and I went to this restaurant called Burger Den and there was Pastor Steve preaching the word and he was doing a rock and roll seminar preaching the word and he gave an invitation to those who wanted to accept the free gift of eternal life and I was one of three people who went up to the front but I did not feel anything. There was no warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart. Does that mean that I am not saved? You know, there's nothing there. I, I, It was like, no, I went there. You called me. I'm in front. But yet, is that something that we need to look for in every encounter? I believe that there's no cookie-cutter experience. You and I have different ways of us experiencing the Justifying grace of God. Maybe some of us, you know, responded right away to an altar call. Maybe some of us have been rearing altar call every week and have not even responded. And it took like years before we finally give our hearts to the Lord. But yet, it's never too late. Amen. You know, there are different kinds of tests that we actually go through in life, you know, you're familiar with like a board exam, you know, back in the day when, you know, maybe you were a student, in order for you to be licensed as a, what, a a nurse or maybe a doctor or maybe a public accountant or maybe uh, a lawyer, you got to go through a, a board exam or a bar exam or whatever exams that is. It's a comprehensive test of sorts. And when you take that exam, I think the pressure is more on the waiting. For the results, for me, more than the preparing for the exam, I think you know. Yeah, of course you're puyat, you're you know you you're tired, but yet the waiting really wears you out. And back in the day when we took our board exam, uh, 1989, uh, it was not even computerized yet, so it had to take like six months before the results would come out. And I went back to work, and you know, one particular day, my office mates were reading the newspaper and the list of the people who pass the exams are put there on paper, publicly. And so I was praying, Lord, help. So one of my office mates looked at the column M and then went down the list. Marcos. Marquis. Marques, you know what I mean? And then when he saw the name Ariel Jose Gutierrez Marquez, we were jumping for joy. Wow! It's all worth it. What a feeling. Now that you've actually felt that you've passed an examination. You've passed. You've been accepted. You are now a licensed whatever. Same feeling I had when I finished my, my, my master's degree program. We had a comprehensive exam. And so it was not even graded. It was either P or F. Fast or pale. Pale. It was PRF, you know, you, know, you got to wait for the email from the registrar. And This particular registrar would say, you know, congratulations, you've passed, or sorry, you got to do some removal, whatever, okay? And so it was really just a pressure, you know, if you have passed or failed. One day, all of us will be facing the same test. It's the ultimate test of all. And it's actually the judgment seat of Christ. Everybody will be judged. Everybody will be examined. Everybody will go through this particular test. Not one exception. Every deed, the deed that you uh, went through, every word spoken, every motive in your heart, every thought that you've had will be examined but for those who have put their trust in the work of Christ on the cross will be said, you've already made it. You've passed because that is what you call justifying grace. Come on now. And we will all say, thank you, Lord. Because we receive a peace. You've been accepted. Well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome to the joy of your master. C.S. Lewis said this, If we wanted to end up in heaven, we could take no bit of hell with us. And that is one way of God saying that He is working in our hearts, taking off every dross, taking off everything that is not pleasing to Him. How many of you would really admit that you are still a work in progress? Please raise your hand. You are not perfect. Raise your hand. You're not perfect. Are you not perfect? There's still something that God's Changing, So if you're married to that person who just raised the hand, please be patient with that person because you also raised up your hand. Don't put too much of an expectation expecting that person to be perfect if you yourself are not perfect. Look at your spouse right now. Come on, look at your spouse and say, I love you. And I forgive you in advance for all the offense that you will do to me in the future because I am not perfect still. Justification, if you want to have a basic definition of justification, is God's righteous act of removing the guilt and penalty of sin. Praise God. No more penalty. No more guilt. But at the same time, declaring the ungodly to be righteous through faith. Everybody say, through faith in Christ's atoning sacrifice. That is what justification in all, is all about. In other words, to be justified means to be measured by God and to be found, you know, more than enough. It's being imputed with the righteousness of Christ. You know, it's kind of like waking up next morning and you find your ATM account to be credited with a million pesos and you don't know where that money came from. It's not from your work, it's not even your bonus, nothing. Somebody just credited into your account 1 million just for you. How many of you would be grateful for that? And the thing that happened to us, when you talk about salvation and justification, we received more than a million pesos in our account. We were credited with the perfect record. We were credited with Christ's righteousness. He who lived a perfect life is now saying to us, Because you put your trust in me, you have also been given this perfect record. That when the enemy would come to you and say, and condemn you. How many of you sometimes feel condemned? You know, you wake up in the morning, there's this cloud. You know, you did did not read your Bible yesterday. You shouted at your wife. You kicked the dog. You slammed the door. (laughs) And then you do that every time. You shouted at your wife, you kicked the dog, you slammed the door, shouted at your wife, you kicked the door, you slammed the door, shouted at your dog, Kick your wife, Slam. You know, you got confused already. Because, you know, you, you've been hearing voices. And how many of you sometimes, even as Christians, have you been hearing voices? Either the voice of God, the voice of the enemy, or the voice of your wife. <laughs> I have been hearing voices. What is the work of justifying grace? It's very quickly. First point is He saved us from. And this is really what justification is all about. It's salvation. How many of you are thankful that God saves? Jesus saves. He saved us from something. He saved us because of something. And He saved us for something. What's the reason why God had to save us? You know, God was just okay in heaven. He had to create men, made it in His own image. They messed up, dropped the ball, messed up the cosmos, not just their work, but practically everything here. But yet, He did something for us. In Titus chapter 3 verse 3, it says, For we ourselves were once foolish. Everybody say, once foolish. I hope that was the past, okay? And not until today. Look at the person beside you and tell the person you're already wise in Jesus, okay? We were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating One another's, one another. This used to be our old life. The apostle Paul was writing to Titus, and he was not describing Cretans, he was not describing the people living in Crete, he was describing himself, he was describing Titus, he was describing the disciples, he was describing the church. We were once foolish, we were once disobedient. In order for us to be able to understand and appreciate the gospel, is that we need to acknowledge. That we were once messed up. Because if you think that you are good enough before, I don't think you'll have a proper understanding of the gospel and the grace of God. We were once foolish. What do you mean by foolish? A fool says in his heart, there is no God. The moment that you don't acknowledge the presence of God in your life, that's foolishness. Another translation says, stupidity. Didn't come from me, from the Bible. A stupid says in his heart, there is no God. Disobedient. How many of you were disobedient before? Please raise your hand. You did not obey the law. You were disobedient to your parents. Another translation is rebellious. There are quiet rebels. And there are outright rebels. But nonetheless, we are all rebels. And we have this. We have this tendency to disobey and to, dis, to rebel. Our children, you know, you don't have to teach them how to disobey. They will, because of sinful nature, if you tell them, you know, this story, you know, don't touch the socket, don't touch the fan. You know, whatever you say goes. That's why if I were you, you trick them, okay? Don't read your Bible. Don't go to church. Don't obey mommy and daddy. No, just kidding. Disobedient. We used to disobey our parents. We used to rebel against authority. Deceived. One of the oldest tricks of Satan is deception. We think we're okay when we're not. You think you're cool. When you're in trouble already. You think you're right. Or in fact, you're wrong. Especially if it's with your wife. I'm not talking about experience. Because men are always right. And women are never wrong. Just figure it out. You think you're free, but you're a slave. What we've read earlier is that We were all led astray. Another way of saying you're deceived is you're led astray. And the world's mantra today is follow your heart. And how many of you followed your heart before? Please raise your hand. You followed your heart to destruction. (laughs) Because Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart without Christ. I may mean, want to qualify that. It's deceitful above all else. Now, if you're in Christ and if you're led by the Spirit of God, because the Bible says if you are led by the Spirit of God, you are sons of God, then you can follow the Spirit of God, not just follow your heart. Because ultimately, sometimes our heart is still selfish. How many of you trust your heart? Buti na lang. Wala na magtaas ng kamay. We used to be slaves. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. Lust for power. You're talking about lust here. You're talking about an insatiable desire for knowledge, for pleasure, for power, for accomplishment. We are in a, an endless pursuit of wealth to the detriment of the people that we love, to our own health, sometimes stepping on people, living in malice and envy, malice means ill uh, ill will towards others. It stems really from selfless uh, selfishness. When you have a malice towards someone, you know even if it's harming someone else, as long as you can actually succeed in life you're just gonna go for it living in malice and envy envy means wanting what someone else has or designed to be in the position that they are in some of us have felt envy in our heart especially when we look at the fb page or the instagram and you see someone traveling with hashtag Grateful. (laughs) Hashtag Amazing Grace 2020 or whatever. Nothing wrong. You know, we've traveled personally. We've had things. But let's be careful in putting out there and projecting an image that may actually be difficult for other people. Especially if they're not as blessed or as financially able as you are, nothing wrong. You know, I have no problem. Really, just if you want to post whatever you want to post, just go ahead. Just make sure that your motive is right before you post. You ask yourself: Does this glorify God? Does this honor God? Will this just elevate myself or God Himself? I like this last one, description of the past. You're still, okay? How many of you are still feeling that these things are current and not the past? No, just kidding, okay? This used to be us, hateful and hating others. Very few would admit that they are hateful because they think that they are loving, right? But the moment that you have a hard time forgiving an offense, That is what I call hateful. Hateful does not just mean wanting to kill another person. Because yeah, Jesus said, if you look at a person with anger in your heart, you've already committed what? Murder in your heart. But if you have been offended and you're not willing to forgive, I think it's also a degree of hatefulness towards another person. And we kind of lack generosity. How many of you know when you talk about generosity, we're not just talking about finances as we talked about last week. That having a good eye or having a bountiful eye really is about radical generosity. It's, it's easy to give money. It's harder to give your life. And sometimes we feel that we've been wronged and we need to get even. Let God be the Avenger, amen. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We were hopeless. But I praise God that the scripture did not stop there. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You know, another way of Paul describing this is not just, you know, malice, deceitful, led astray. He said, As for you, you were dead. Lord person beside you. And don't say anything. (laughs) We were once dead. That's our state before. We were not sick. When you're sick, you go to the doctor. When you're dead, you need a savior. We were dead. And this is the gospel. That's the reality of our life before. The reason why we need Jesus, the reason why we need to put our trust in him, is because we're dead. He saved us because. In verse 4, but when. Everybody say, but when. but When the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to what? His own mercy and by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He saved us because. Of his goodness and his loving kindness. How many of you know that we don't deserve it? And when you talk about the goodness of God, how many of you know the goodness of God is his attribute? It's it's stable. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Look at the person beside you, tell that person, God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. No matter what circumstance you're in, I want to submit to you, God is good. There's a story of this missionary that went to South America. I think Pantanoia was the the island. His name was Alan Gardiner. Missionary to South Africa, Alan Gardiner had an extremely difficult life. He served for a long time, many, many years in South Africa. Back in the day, back in the 1800s. And this is what he said, while God gives me strength, failure will not daunt me. It was a difficult time in missions. He had to go through difficult situations, hunger, thirst. In 1851, he died at the age of 51 years old. I praise God because I'm already 52. As a pastor of this church, I thank God that you are merciful and gracious. But this guy was a missionary. At 51, he passed away. Because of disease and starvation, they found his body with a diary beside it. They read through the diary. It had a record of tremendous hunger and thirst. Wounds and sickness. Extreme levels of loneliness. And as he was dying, the last entry in his diary, as they saw it, because he was having shaky hands. This was the final entry that Alan Gardner said. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Because God's goodness is not dependent on our situation. He lost it, but he gained something eternal. Job lost all his children, lost his business, had boils in his body, and said these words, Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked I will return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God's goodness is stable. No matter what. The reasons why you and I are saved. The reasons for salvation is because of the attributes of God. His love. His kindness. His mercy. And it's grace. His grace. And it's never about our works. Not because of the works of our righteousness. Or what you and I have done. And maybe some of us are saying, you know, I was you know, a good girl or a good boy when I was young. I served in church. I grew up in kids' church. I obeyed my mom and dad. I'm an A student. You know, I never disobeyed. I'm kind to my... Yeah, even if that was your life, you're not going to be saved by any of the righteous works that we have done. Or that we can actually ever do. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like what? Filthy rags. From time to time, I clean my own car. In times when I don't have time anymore, I go to the car wash. But when I clean my own car with mud, I take on a rag and I wash it. I use two rags. Wash in, wash out. Wash in. Wash out. And after I wash my car, I wash the rags, and all the stains are stuck there in the rug. That's kind of like us. No matter what kind of good things that we do, there's a lot of stains that are just permanently placed in us. But because of the loving kindness of God, He washes us as white as snow. Amen. There's nothing that you and I can do. You know what? Trying to do good works is like running on a treadmill. You're tired, but you don't go anywhere. But according to His mercy, Amen. According to His mercy. Look at the person beside you. Tell that person, according to God's mercy, you are here. Lastly, we are saved for, in verse 7, so that being justified by His grace. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.vickryalabong.church.